Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, joined by NASCAR and NBC analyst and our resident NASCAR Hall of Famer, Dale Jarrett. We're talking on the day after the round of 12 opener at Texas Motor Speedway that was won by William Byron. And DJ, a lot to talk about, as always, with the playoff race and at Texas. 100 fewer miles this year, but almost as much chaos as they had last year, especially toward the end. I think there were two restarts in particular that certainly defined how this race unfolded. So I'm going to start there before we go to the winner, William Byron. I want to start with the lap 248 restart, where Kyle Larson is in the lead, appears to be headed toward the victory here, running side by side with Bubba Wallace. Larson's on the bottom. And the car just seemed to snap. He just lost rear traction into turn one. Larson said afterward. Uh, yeah, he did a good job to stay with me um, on the restart uh, through three and four and, and all that. And I just was, I tried to open up. I, I was trying to, you have, have my shape into one. And um, with these cars, compared to the old ones, you don't really get sucked around like that. So I wasn't really expecting it and um, thought that I would be fine. And uh, yeah, we just went in there side by side and I lost it uh, really quickly and crash so um uh pretty pretty bummed your analysis of that did it catch you by surprise as well that we saw kyle larson who's you know one of the best drivers in cup just lose it on a restart yeah that that was certainly surprising because i think the one thing that that we talk about with larson is his car control uh the majority of the time but i also believe this is a perfect example of you know just how hard uh, these cars are to drive and how hard uh, the drivers are having to push things at the end of the race, especially when they get these restarts uh, at the high speed racetracks. Um, I, the, the one thing that I noticed and I watched it back a couple of times to make sure that I wasn't seeing something, but I actually saw this happen like the lap before um, Larson actually spun was he still uh, even racing side by side with Bubba. He wanted to make his arc into especially turn one as much as he could uh, because that's the way he drives. That's why how he gets speed out of his car. Uh, his car turns to center and he's able to, to power up soon and, and drive straighter on the exit of the corner and, and just make a lot of speed there. Your problem is that you set yourself up with that if you lose any air at all, uh, especially to the right rear quarter panel. And he was actually putting himself closer to Bubba than what Bubba was actually trying to, to hang on to his quarter pound. So between uh, or to his side. And so between the two, 
Uh, I just believe that, you know, that the hotter tires that they had on, uh, trying to go as hard as they were there, I'm pretty sure that he was uh, doing everything to run wide open and, and thinking that, you know, just one more corner and he was going to be able to clear Bubba and, and then, you know, kind of smooth selling from that point. So shocking to say the least. Here's a driver that looked like he was going to easily put himself through to the round of eight and he's going to have to battle now. And uh, that, that's the most shocking part of it, that this was going to be four straight races in the playoffs uh, that Larson had performed at a high level. He did perform at a high level, just didn't get the finish yesterday. Ends up finishing 31st. And like you said, he won stage two, but actually got no stage points in stage one. So he comes away from this with only 16 points. Enters Talladega, which is certainly not one of his better tracks, just two points above the cut line. He was sort of in a similar situation in 2021, DJ, where at one point in the Roval race, he was out of it and then came back to win that race despite having a mechanical problem. So I guess maybe the team can kind of fall back a little bit like, hey, we've been in round of 12 with our backs against the wall. But it seems like this has happened so often with this team this year. <laughs> Burton talked about this on the broadcast that Larson told us this on Playoff Media Day. I think he's been as fast or faster than he was in 21. Yeah. But I could go down the list. There's probably a half dozen races like this where he's crashed or things have just fell out of his favor. It just doesn't seem like it's his year, even though he's got maybe the fastest car. Yeah, it, exactly. And, and I don't know that we've seen something like this uh, in recent memory to where somebody was so dominant uh, and so fast at so many racetracks. William Byron, I think, has been the beneficiary maybe a couple of times to mistakes or, or things happening with Larson and, and his team. And it's not always Larson himself as the driver. Uh, it's just a number of things that they've taken themselves out of these races. And that was okay during the regular season. Yeah, it cost them uh, some some points at, at times. And, you know, you, you overlooked it and think, okay, well, by the playoffs, they'll clean all of this up. You know, they just keep pushing. And, and at some point in time, this is going to catch up with you. And uh, again, going to Talladega, where he certainly has not had success. It's not that he can't drive those tracks. It's just that he seems to find himself in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And He's having a year like that already, expecting to get something good out of Talladega. Uh, that might be a tall order. Um, you, and you don't want to go to the Roval thinking that you you know, have to maximize everything at, at that point in time. So it's, it's hard to fathom that you know, we, we talk about how good Larson and this team are. And, and here we are now talking about you know, having to have two solid weeks or, or they're not going to find themselves in a position racing for a championship once again. It is surprising. And as, again, what was the incident? I, I want to go back to what you were saying because it made a really good point there about the way Larson needs to sort of enter the corner. And he made mention of this in his interview. He said something effective, finding the right shape, I think is yeah. how he, the terminology he used. And Bubba actually expressed, I think, a little bit remorse on the radio. But was this just one of those sort of racing incidents where, I mean, it's nobody's fault. I mean, Larson certainly didn't seem to be frustrated with Bubba at all. Like he's running him tight as he said, yeah. the way he's supposed to be. Larson wants to run that corner a certain way, and for whatever reason, the air hits a certain way on that corner, and it just takes him out. Yeah, it, it, this definitely just a racing, hard racing. Two drivers trying to, to get themselves positioned where they can win the race and, and move on in the playoffs. And Bubba did a great job of, of hanging with, with Larson as long as he did on that outside because that wasn't didn't seem to be Bubba's favorite spot to be in. And I think he made mention a couple of times during the race that as he got up higher when the groove widened out, that his car was just so loose that he couldn't hold on to it. Uh, but he was able to get through turns three and four 
with Larson and then actually, you know, enter and go all the way down the front straightaway. So uh, nobody was doing anything wrong. You know, Larson could have driven his car in that situation straighter into the corner, but then it was going to take turning the steering wheel more in the center to get the car to turn, maybe even having to get out of the gas a little bit uh, to that point. And if he does that, and Bubba seemed to be more comfortable on the outside at this particular time with this car, he, he probably uh, was going to get a run off of turn two and maybe clear Larson. And then we were going to have a real battle from that point. And, and whether Larson could have got back by Bubba, he wasn't sure. He knew what he needed to do. I, I actually was a little surprised with the hotter tires, with how good Larson's car was on the, the high side and how he could arc his car in, that he chose the bottom at that particular yeah. point. Uh, I really looked for him to take the top and just motor around and, and, you know, control the race from that point. But, but he felt like that. I think he felt very sure of himself that he could um, make that bottom work, but he, he has a way that he likes to drive the car and wants to drive the car and anything else was going to uh, take away his ability that he thought that he could control the race and get himself back out front. So just hard racing. And, you know, that's what this has come down to. And again, I think the one thing that you hear these drivers uh, talk about, and when I talk to them about these cars, is that you're good, good, good until you're not. And and then there's just no saving it at at the speed that it was. And I'll give Larson credit. Bubba did a good job of of realizing what was happening and moving up the track. But Larson held on as long as he could and, and didn't try to overcorrect. If he just tries to correct that a little bit, he's going to have to turn right and shoot straight up into Bubba. And, and then we've got a whole nother uh, set of circumstances and things to talk about uh, in, in taking Bubba out there. So uh, uh, I'll give Larson credit when he got to that point. Uh, but that is that point of no return that these drivers talk about driving this car in these situations. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Larson's crash avoidance, well, avoiding others when he's crashing, almost as impressive sometimes as his driving, like the way he locked it down. Like you said, he didn't overcorrect. He, he managed to stay out of other people's way. So it sounds like, DJ, when you're talking about like how difficult the cars are to drive, one, they give you no warning. And then two, with the lack of warning, there's just, it's not as forgiving. There's no way to save it. Would it be easier if you had no warning with previous cars where you could save it and this car you just, you can't? Is that the deal? Yeah, because and the main thing is is that with with the shape and body design that that they went to, uh, where in the older cars and the uh, those generation of cars, everybody had worked really hard on the side force with the cars, and so that would save you a lot. You know, I I used to be amazed that oh my gosh, how are these guys are they that much better drivers than the past generations of of drivers uh, that that they don't spin these things out, but you know they've gotten to the point that they relied on that so much. Now they have they have two things they're dealing with with these next gen cars. I mean, the the cars are basically straight up cars, so you don't have an offset to them. That in turn makes you do things to make the car turn uh, that really loosens the car up uh, to to create speed and. Then the second thing is, is you don't have that side force. And and once you lose any grip, uh, then you don't have anything to help catch you. Yes, they have a wider tire, uh, which is beneficial to them. Uh, But when you start talking about the air and the crazy things that it does, that happens so quickly that there's just no overcoming that. And uh, especially if you're by yourself and you find yourself getting loose, you have a little bit better chance than we've seen some drivers do that. But when you're beside a car and you're trying not to take your other competitor out uh, at the same time, uh, then, then you've just got nothing to do. So I don't think we give them enough credit for all they're having to do 
to, to make these cars go fast. And, and as you go fast, uh, you you start losing more control. And, and these are the type of things that we see happen. It did seem like the high line worked really well for Larson. It worked well for Bubba too, which is the next two restarts. Bubba chooses the outside. Larson chose the inside. And obviously it didn't work out so well for him. So Bubba chooses the outside on the next restart and it works for him. Then there's another crash. Bubba's still in the lead. He chooses the outside again for the final restart, which is on lap 262. So Bubba's on the outside. Chase Briscoe is on the inside. And Briscoe kind of forced the issue this time on Bubba from the inside. He got ahead of him. And then Bubba kind of laments what happened next. Third time I fooled myself starting on top. These guys gave me the right information. 14's tight. And he sent it off in there. Wasn't going to stick, but that's what he's got to do. We're racing for a win. And I just hate it. I, uh... Should have just kept my line in the three and forced William to get tight, but you're so vulnerable in these cars, right? Um, but just uh, upset myself. Really needed a win there, and um, it's good showing. I don't know where that puts us. Don't really care, but you know, I I know what I did, and I choked. So Byron takes the lead here with this battle between Wallace and Briscoe, DJ, and it seems like Bubba is saying that he wish he would have stayed up top as he was entering turn three, rather than what he did was after getting around Briscoe, Bubba kind of came down the track and tried to side draft Byron. It sounds like Bubba's saying the better option would have been just hold my line at the top, entering three. Instead, he comes down the track, they get side by side, and that seemed to blunt Bubba's momentum. And then Byron pulls away for good and, and leads the rest of the race. How did you see that restart where Bubba lost the lead to Byron? I have to say that Briscoe put Bubba in a difficult spot because, I mean, he used up the racetrack. And at one point, I thought he was going to get into the side of them and almost did there. And that, you know, that's what allowed Byron to get the big run down the back straightaway uh, to, to make it three wide at, at that particular time. Yes, Bubba could have easily held the outside and possibly held on there. He, he would have been able to probably control things a little bit better than that. But your instinct, because I, I don't think that he could really see and have any idea without some spotters help exactly where Byron was. And Bubba started his moves down to the bottom. And it looked like to me that Byron was going to be a little hesitant. He didn't want to drive in there and just clip the, the left rear of Bubba and, and send him spinning. And, and so I, I think they both hesitated just an in, a just for a split second there. But as Bubba hesitated, Byron saw that hesitation. And I don't think Bubba choked in this. That, that's a tough, tough spot to get yourself in. You know, Bubba didn't do anything wrong to get in that spot. And, and what he did, it, it turned out to be the wrong thing, but it, it wasn't the wrong thinking that he was doing. If, if I think if he would have gone on and committed completely to taking his car to the, the very bottom of the racetrack, that probably Byron's going to back out and not create a contact there because they could have ended both of their days. And, and I know that Byron didn't want to do that either, but he saw the, the slight hesitation uh, of Bubba not to completely uh, force the issue and, and take his car right to the bottom and, and block any, any move that Byron was making there. So he just opened the door again. That's not, I, I don't blame him for that. He could have put himself in a position that, yeah, you, you know, it's Byron. And, and most of the time, William's not going to do something like that. He's a very fair driver, 
but you're also talking the playoffs here and, and drivers do a little more to to try to make that happen so yeah i heard bubba talking about him choking he you know that that's not choking that that's um making a move he'll know the next time you know it, that that's learning he's he's still having to learn how to race in, in a different set of circumstances than what he normally is most of the time through his career where he's been racing in those spots has been probably from fifth to tenth and they don't need don't mean nearly as much as as what they do when you're racing there for the lead and talk about getting yourself into the round of eight we can sit and i was watching it on tv and and know what i thought i would have done but that's just how you learn in, in this sport. Uh, there, there's no better way. And the next time it happens, Bubba gets through this and, and he goes on to Las Vegas at a mile and a half track. He's going to know that he's going to do something a little different if that situation occurs again. Yeah, I think we forget that it's his sixth full-time season in the Cup Series. But to your point, which is an excellent one, he hasn't been in this situation where the spotlight is on him this much until the last few years i mean his first few years a lot of this type of racing where he's learning he's getting that experience was not for the lead in a playoff race yeah. over round of 12 opener and i think you're right i think that's where the you know i choked kind of comes from that harsh self-evaluation so bubba started from the pole in this race dj he finishes third doesn't great get great stage points gets stage points in both the first two but not as many as you'd expect for leading 111 laps a race high Again, does finish third, but he comes out of this two points below the cut line. Uh, and even though in his interview right after the race, he said and he hadn't looked at the points yet, I'm sure that was on his mind, knowing that he's coming in the playoffs without playoff points, knowing that it's kind of winner else to make the round of eight. Even a third place finish probably doesn't mollify the fact that like, hey, Talladega and Roval are next. And I mean, he's a past winner at Talladega, but he probably doesn't feel great about his chances <laughs> the next two weeks of advancing. Yeah, that, that's the, the hard part of, of this and the playoffs and and the hard part of you know not having the regular season that you want going in and he's not the only one in this situation i mean you know we've already eliminated four uh and mainly because they didn't have a good regular season and have points to, to fall back on uh, you know a couple of them you know harvick even even did have a few points there and, and he wasn't able to to advance either so uh yeah that's the, the hard thing when you're in that situation and when we reset for each round, you know, people that you outperformed all of a sudden are way ahead of you once again. And, and you have to be almost perfect uh, in the situation when you were the, you know, the 16th seed coming in and, and you have zero points basically uh, to fall back on, uh, even though you, you had a good round and he did everything you needed to do uh, in the round of 16, back in that same situation. So it is a a battle each and every weekend, unless uh, you're fortunate enough to, to go grab that win. And, you know, Bubba was so close there. It's, um, I, I hope that today he's sitting looking at, you know, you know I've done a, a good job uh, in these four races uh, of doing what I can do, uh, putting us in the situation uh, to to advance. I think that he, you know, embraces as much as you can embrace Talladega. I, I know that he likes that style of racing. You, you might not like it quite as much when you realize everything that's on the line uh you know your season is basically there but but if he does his normal good job he's really good at avoiding most things and and getting finishes if and putting himself in a position to possibly win uh at a track like talladega so i, yeah, I just hope that he not as hard on himself and says hey you know we we had our chance there we we did everything we could 
could they have gotten more stage points? Yeah, it's easy to look back and say that. But, you know, I think they were setting themselves up more to know that they had a fast car to put themselves in a position to be there at the end to try to win. They did exactly that. I agree with you. I mean, Denny Hamlin said it before the playoffs started that round of 12 was the goal for Bubba and Reddick. Anything beyond that is a bonus. They both made the round of 12. And Marty Snyder said a couple of times during the weekend, and I agree with him, you know, is Bubba Wallace the surprise of the playoffs? I think through four races, you can can certainly say so. But William Byron, the only guy who's not worried now going into the next two races. And you know, I think the last time I had you on the podcast, DJ, was after William Byron's win at Watkins Glen. And you were saying then that, you know, this is the new modern era driver, the iRacer who becomes this fully formed, really impressive stock car driver. I, I don't know what more else there is to say, what's left to say about William Byron. I did hear Dale Jr. talking yesterday that you know, his racecraft really is impressive. We certainly saw that in the final restart, but just looking at his race, I mean, he wins the race, but he doesn't finish top 10 stage two, finishes fourth in stage one, just sort of hung around and gave himself a chance when his teammate Larson crashed. And then when, when Bubba kind of opened the door, uh, like you said, so William Byron's race, I mean, just another example of a force to be reckoned with and probably somebody we're going to see in Phoenix. Yeah. that I don't think there's any doubt now. And, and you know, you could look at that, and, and I think Burton and, and Dale Jr. both said yesterday that, hey, you know, this this wasn't a William Byron dominant performance like what he had at Watkins Glen. You know, it was reminiscent of some others' wins that he's had this year of setting himself up, never basically giving up on the races. I mean, you know, at one point he was mired back 18th to 22nd there as things happened uh, there in stage two. And, and I really wasn't sure that he had the car. To, to find his way back to the front yesterday. Uh, I, I thought that he might have something that he could get back in the top 10. And of course, with his points, you know, that would have been good to set himself up well to, to go into these next two races in this round of 12. But, you know, he's just a, a battler and, uh, you know, he's confident in his abilities and he takes advantage of situations. And that's what you have to do is ready to, to do that. The, the things that he is doing and that, Rudy is doing for him to put him in these situations. I mean, you know, this is the the mark of champions and and the way that drivers and teams go about winning championships. You know, winning races when you don't have your best days. Uh, that that's how you do things and and do them in a big way and and go about winning and putting yourself in position to win championships. So I look for him to be a part of the championship for no doubt. Easiest road to to get there for him. I mean, you know, when you get to the round of eight that you're talking about, you know, this it probably sets up as good for William Byron as anyone else in the field. You know, he said after this race that he's going to be in the simulator probably tomorrow working on Vegas, which is a luxury no one else is really yeah. going to have the way that team is. And yeah, that's going to be, I think, a huge advantage when you look forward to Vegas, Homestead, Martinsville. I and mean, those are three really good tracks for William Byron. And, you know, Rudy Fugel said it after the win yesterday that now they've got 41 playoff points. I mean, this is five more playoff points on yeah. top of the 36 they already had coming out of the regular season. And now I think he said that they'll probably look at it like if we need 120 points to advance to the championship four, if that's kind of like the number, that's the benchmark. William Byron's probably going to need like 80 points in the round of eight. Now, granted, he could win any of those three races, but if you're asking somebody of that team's caliber to just average 30 points a race, yeah. it just, it feels like it lays out really well for him right now. Yeah. Yeah. Unless there's just some, something unfortunate happens at Las Vegas and then the pressure becomes a little bit more uh, for Homestead and Martinsville, two tracks that he's won at. 
with what we've seen, uh, th- there's nothing just telling us that th- this should be anything but simpler uh, for him. You know, th- it allows them to actually look at it. And I know that a stage win is only one point, but you don't know when one point is going to make the difference. But it does allow them to do that these next two weekends, you know, if nothing else, just to try to, to set themselves up to try to get a, another point or two to have in the bank. And and as you point out, if you're if we're looking that he has to get, you're, you're looking at less than 30, um, you know, if he goes yeah. in there with 41 that he has now or a little more. So, you know, that's just running average for, for that race team. And, and, you know, they should easily be able to do that. I think that it's everyone else that now realizes that William Byron has, has set himself up as the favorite. Uh, he's put himself there. You know, a lot of other people are saying, yeah, you know, Danny's got a fast car. Larson's got a fast car. But, um, you know, I know Denny's in good shape with his points, but, you know, Larson's got a real battle on his hands. And, you know, that just takes its toll on you. Uh, you know, William's got uh, a couple of weeks to, to relax and prepare himself for the next round as everybody else is still looking at uh, the terrors uh, that, uh, that come with racing at Talladega. All of that happening, too, within the walls of Hendrick Motorsports with that Larson v. Byron battle. And the 300th win for Rick Hendrick, I'll just give you a chance to to comment on that, DJ, because of the historical significance. It's not the most ever by a team owner because Rick Hendrick got that mark 30 wins ago when he passed <laughs> Petty Enterprises with 270. Uh, now he's got 300. I don't even know how to put it. I mean, it's not like it's a surprise. Everybody knows this is the best team in NASCAR and will go down as the best team probably for decades. I mean, is anybody ever going to top Hendrick Motorsports? I don't see how that you're going to do that. Uh, I mean, the... Just look at the lineup that that you talk about. I mean, you, you go all the way back and, and realize, you know, how close uh, this organization and Rick Hendrick himself came to, to closing this and shutting this down uh, because, you know, as he got involved as a car dealer and, and uh, you know, albeit that, you know, that was his business and he really was and still is very good at that. You know, racing was a passion for him. And, you know, except for that faithful win by Jeff Bodine many, many years ago, uh, they kind of kept them afloat. Who knows what would have happened? But go from that point and just look at the lineup of drivers and, and what they were able to accomplish, the the wins that they, they have put there. And uh, it's just been incredible, the, the lineup and the success. You know, yeah, there have been a couple of years, weren't their very best and, and the most profitable. And it, it wasn't didn't have the domination effect. Uh, but for so many of the years, they've just so competitive, not just with one driver, sometimes not just with two, but, you know, they throw, they come at you from all angles at, at every different type of track. And to, to think about 300 wins and, and the effort that it takes, not just from the drivers, uh, but from the standpoint of everyone behind the scenes. And uh, you could go down a lot of people, uh, you could go all the way back to, you know, how their engine program was so dominant at the beginning with Randy Dorton, uh, who unfortunately was lost in that airplane crash. But it went on because of how good Randy was and the people that he surrounded himself with. And, and you can say that going to the point of the, the crew chiefs and, and everyone running, uh, helping run uh, Ken House for that's was there forever, has been there forever, and kind of behind-the-scenes guy that everybody in the garage area knows about, but maybe not a lot of fans know about. Uh, but then, you know, you talk about Ray Everham and Jack Denouse and all that they've done to, to continue to, to make this uh, uh, an organization that you have to deal with week in and week out. But, you know, congratulations to them. Just an incredible feat. And, no, I don't see 
how someone puts together an organization and a lineup that, that can come anywhere close to this again. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen this century for sure. At no. this point. You're right. Like it was cool to hear Rick Hendrick bring up the Martinsville win by Jeff Bodine in 1984 that sort of saved this organization. And we talked to Jeff Bodine and, and we, I think we wrecked at Darlington and I said, Harry, we got to quit. We, we don't have any money. We get, we, we'll, we'll start back when we get some help. And you know, once you shut down, you're not going to come back. But, and he said, well, let's go to Martinsville because Bodine's good there. So, yeah, I think about that a lot. You know, this, the twists and turns in life that, you know, if you've not been in the right place or we've been blessed. We've had, I think about it all the time, had not, had we not won that race, it wouldn't be a Hendrick Motorsports and it wouldn't be 300 wins. So I'm very, very, very thankful for that. Tell you, Randy Dorton, I wish Randy was here to see all this. And Rick Hendrick went out of his way yesterday to, to name check Randy Dorton. I mean, you're right, DJ. I mean, it's hard to believe, but next year will mark 20 years since he and tragically those nine other people were killed in that plane crash on the way to, to Martinsville. And what he built there and the depth of that organization just endures. You know, other teams are still going to keep trying to catch him and we can... Yeah. Talk about some of those other ones now. First one I want to ask you about is Denny Hamlin. I, we spent the round of 16 talking about how it's Hamlin versus Larson. This feels like these are definitely the two best teams, the two fastest cars, the two best drivers so far in the playoffs. Hamlin finished fifth yesterday at Texas, had a good run, but things were never quite the same after he has this pit road collision in stage one with his teammate, Ty Gibbs. Steve Wittart was very critical. He thought, Ty Gibbs was in the wrong lane here in the pits. Ty Gibbs sort of fessed up to that a little bit in his interview, said, I think, I guess that's on me. How did you see that as a driver? Was that a case of Denny was not given enough room by his teammate? Yeah, he probably wasn't. But you know, there's so much happening and, and there's so much on the line that you're doing what you think you need to, to do. And it's not, you know, you're not always thinking about the consequences of, you know, and, and paying attention. I think that's what's so important. Drivers, there's, there's so much on them now because the competition is so close, you know, that the pit stops are, you know, we're, we're talking tenths of a seconds that, that make the difference in uh, either gaining a spot or, or possibly losing two, three, four spots. And, and you know how hard it is uh, once you get back on the racetrack with these restarts to, to make up those positions. And, you know, the drivers become frustrated. Tides, he's still young at this and, and, you know, getting to know everyone and exactly, you know, what's the right thing and right place to be. It, it was unfortunate. Denny handled it, it very well, I think, uh, in, in his interview. And, you know, sometimes things are just going to happen. And, you know, this will be another case. You know, I talked about Bubba learning from, from what happened with him on the racetrack. Ty will also learn from this and, and understand pit road and, and positioning yourself a little bit better and, and understanding that part. So th sometimes things just happen. And we always seem to have to want to put a blame on and and you, you you could say that yeah Denny wasn't given much room uh but but Denny made a pretty hard right out of there which he had to do to to get himself out and and moving forward uh but uh I, I just look at this as you know they'll they'll all learn and it was unfortunate for Denny because it didn't seem his car had the speed after that that it had before and you know that yesterday morning I text Steve Latart just him being there me not just trying to you know see who I was actually setting my fantasy lineup and, and so I wanted to know yeah, who, who he thought uh, might be. And, you know, his comment was that the five and the 11 were in a, in one league. And then, you know, there were some fast cars, Byron and a number of others that, that had good cars. But, 
you know, he said these two, once again, are, are the class of the field. And, and they were showing that until that point. And your point about Ty Gibbs is well taken that like th- these guys have so much that they're asked to do now. And it, it made me think of something Burton said when Daniel Suarez spun coming into the pits during the race yesterday, Burton was kind of explaining on the broadcast that you don't understand now in the era of EFI data and so much stuff that teams can look at and scrutinize and say to their drivers, you need to do a better job of getting in the pits here. You need yeah. to do a better job of getting off here. Can you imagine the level of scrutiny these guys face that, you, I mean, you're a Hall of Famer. Right? I'm not questioning your talent or your results or anything like that, but you probably didn't have to deal or, you know, drivers of your generation didn't have to worry about people criticizing like how you're getting in and out of the pits as much as they get criticized now. No, it is every facet, you know, every corner they make on the racetrack. And then you get down to the point of trying to get everything that you can and then understanding and hearing from it. No, I this it drives me crazy. I'm not even driving now. Uh, I don't even know how I would obtain that because it's not that I didn't wouldn't take criticism, if you will, at times about getting beat in certain spots, you know, getting on off pit road. You know, I came through an error before towards the very end of it, we, there was no pit road speed. We waste race wide open, you know, to our pit box, uh, which was it's scary to think about that, that we did that for as long as we did. But now you're, you're you know, everything is there. You, you can't even say, yes, I am getting there as fast as they are, you know, because a visual to that, you can dispute that. But when you have the evidence that they have there, uh, these drivers are, you know, it's, it's just a whole nother level of pressure that, that you have to deal with and, and understanding that, you know, if you don't do it, then Monday morning or Tuesday morning, whichever you have your team meeting at, you know, it's going to be brought up. And uh, if not during the race, I mean, they might tell you that, you know, the last time that you were on pit road that, you know, you weren't getting as much as what Kyle Larson or Denny Hamlin or Kyle Busch was getting. So, uh, uh, you know, that makes things more difficult and don't know that I would enjoy that <laughs> as much, but uh, it, it is, you know, it's fascinating to watch and listen uh, as these teams try to coach their drivers and get the very most out of them. Yeah, it is another layer of pressure they have to handle. And, you know, one driver who we've certainly seen handle it really well in the playoffs the last two years, Ross Chastain, finishes second in this race, DJ. And now, you know, he's still only 12 points above the cut line, but this is a guy who only entered the playoffs with 11 playoff points, one win in the regular season. So I think he's fairly well situated here, especially being a past Talladega winner, but for advancement to the round of eight. But let's talk about Texas and his performance because he has this throttle sensor issue, which he somehow overcomes to finish second in the second half of this race. And I just, again, this is something... I don't think you would have had to deal with because it sounds like it's, I think, EFI type related where pushing the throttle down and the car won't go um, <laughs> and he has to just run it wide open to get out of the pits on his last couple of stops just to make the car move. It's terrible. You push the gas and it, it ain't got no gas, Kim. Um, yeah, I, it, I noticed something on a few cautions, like having the car off in third gear, clutch in, drop the clutch with the ignition on and it kind of stumbled, but I thought I just had it too low of RPM. And then I pit, and that pit stop it is when it had already failed, and it it wouldn't go. And I'm I'm part throttle to get it fired, and it doesn't think I'm doing anything. So um, from there they walked me through it, and it basically I just had to give it a lot of throttle. So the next pit stop for our, our final two tire stop was just a whole lot of throttle. I'm sure the eardrums are blown out of, of everybody behind our pit box. The grace under pressure of this kid continues to impress me. Your thoughts on Ross Chastain? 
Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, they, they brought a car again with way more speed than, than what they have had for the majority of the year. So that was impressive to begin with. They had something that we could see Ross use his talents on the track. But when this throttle issue came about there and first he, his, he stalled the car trying to get exited pit and he lost a ton of spots, then that particular run, when he got back in the traffic and was having to deal with this, he totally missed turn one one time. And I, I wasn't even sure at that time if this thing had maybe hung wide open uh, because it was like he just completely missed uh, turn one. And and I thought that he might get into the wall at that point in time, but he lost more spots. I pretty much counted him out. You know, this is going to be another sad story to, to their season that, you know, trying to follow up on uh, being a part of the championship four last year that they just weren't going to be able to perform at a high enough level. Somehow, some way, I don't know what they did and what was done how he managed to not crash his car and get so frustrated during that time. Uh, but uh, the end of the race was quite interesting to watch him. And, and it was Ross like driving other than the fact that he showed that he could make passes and not have contact, but he set it up really well. And, and it was a, a very, it, it might be the performance that, that we look back on. If he does go on to be a part of the championship four or, you know, just into the round of eight that we look back at Texas and what he did for the last third of the race to get a finish out of this when it looked like it could be another day of disaster for them. And it was a day of disaster for a few other drivers and self-inflicted, unfortunately, in the case of Ryan Blaney and, and Martin Trex Jr. Let's start with Blaney, who gets caught speeding on pit entry under caution on lap 214, is back in the pack in traffic, gets caught in the wreck. Proud of the group for getting a little better all day. Had good good strategy, took rights, kind of got track position. And then car was okay, we were just kind of hanging on, and but we got better, and uh, and then I sped. And um, really took us out of it, took us out of having a good finish, and then you put yourself back there, and then you get in a wreck. So just, uh, yeah, a slight sliver of hope and proud work all day of, like, getting better and getting stage points, and then just uh, driver mistake and puts us back in the stuff, and get wrecked so uh not a very good job by me today but proud of everyone on this Menards Dutch boy Ford Mustang group they they did the best they could and uh we're still not out of it I don't think Ryan Blaney's out of it entirely DJ because the the next two races set up fairly well for him he's one at Talladega he's one at the Roval but it feels like this is a recurring theme with Ryan Blaney with mistakes in the playoffs we were talking about this last year with speeding penalties or mistakes how does he get past it um yeah again you know we we want to you know give them some you know, time to, to learn uh, their craft and, you know, uh, again, learning in a different part of it when you, you know, you talk about the playoffs, the added pressures, uh, and I know they try to deflect a lot of that, but you still have to do your job and you have to learn and, and understand that it's no different than the Atlanta Braves bringing in a relief pitcher and you, you've played a great game and he comes in the ninth inning and, you know, gives up two walks and you know that probably 80% of the time that, that you walk someone, they end up scoring. And it's just mistakes that you try to stay away from that they can continue to happen. And it's no different with, with drivers that, you know, you know these things, uh, but when you're in the heat of the moment and, and Blaney was having a good day and, and you understand that you can't give up anything on, on pit entry, getting down pit road, getting out of your pit box, you have to do it all. It takes all of that to continue to give yourself a chance to run uh, in the top five. But you, you at some point, you, you've got to settle yourself down and, and realize that you know mistakes are what lead to 
worst things happening. And, and it's the, the worst thing that you can do for yourself is, is put yourself in that position. And uh, because, you know, it's a high percentage of time that you get yourself back there, especially these late race restarts and, and things start happening. Blaney did nothing wrong on the lap that he got involved in the crash other than the fact that, you know, he was 15 spots worse than, than where he should have been running. And like you said, I mean, Blaney was having a decent day and unfortunately misses out on a lot of points, comes out 11 points below the cut line. The other driver, I don't want to be too tough on Martin Truex Jr. because it wasn't his fault necessarily that he gets in this incident at the end of stage one where he gets hit from behind, kind of spins out, and he says that the car underneath damaged some things and way tighter after that. It never handled quite as well. What he told Dustin Long after the race, DJ. Yeah, I mean, so far nothing's really went right at all when, um, today we just didn't really run good and I thought we were a top 10 car early and then once we got spun out there and had to drive around on flat tires I think we messed something up underneath so definitely was way tighter after that and we lost all our track position and then that's just it just piles on when you get back there and um, you know and then on top of that our pit stops were absolutely horrendous so just nothing really good today at all to, to speak of and um, you know other than not getting wrecked but long long terrible day we need to fix it. Dustin had this stat that the last three four-tire stops for Truex were between 11.2 and 12.7 seconds. Compare that to Denny Hamlin, whose were between 9.9 and 10.8. So as Truex said, just a long, terrible day. But yet his 17th place finish at Texas was his best finish of the playoffs, which it tells you everything about what's going on with the 19 team right now, regular season champions. And I can't get over how mediocre they've been. You know, Kyle Petty is saying, DJ, that he doesn't think Truex makes the championship four at this point. I mean, he's still 19 points above the cut line going into Talladega, but Talladega is obviously one of his worst tracks. He's won at the Roval, but that's the X factor. What do you make of Truex at this point? I, I think that you're being kind when you say that their playoffs have been mediocre. Um, that this has been a disaster. I, I cannot believe that the regular season champ and uh, yeah, I was ready to pencil Martin Truex Jr. in as the you know one of the you know along with Larson and, and Denny Hamlin as and probably William Byron. That that was kind of your your championship four that you're you were looking at. And um, that there has not been a single race from the drop of the green flag in these playoffs. And I realized just four races in, but there hasn't been a single race when you said, oh yeah. Uh, you know, they're going to be good today. Even when they qualified well, they, they went on the backslide to, to start with at Kansas uh, as soon as they dropped the green flag. And, you know, then they ran over something and punctured a tire. So it's just, you know, one thing after another. And, and you talk about these pit stops that just once again, put yourself and put your driver in a bad spot. You, you're not able to run the race the, the way that you want to. So I, I, I have no idea if they're going to be able to, to make it through to the next round. And if they do, even how they can go about cleaning it up whenever, you know, you talk about another mile and a half track uh, or two of them coming at tracks, you would think that Martin would be all right with Las Vegas and Homestead. But I, I, there's nothing telling me that they're right. on that path again. As good as they were there at a point in time during this season, they're twice as bad as they were good. And uh, But, you know, that, that, that body of work may – somehow some way uh, get them through and and we'll have to see if they can can rebound from this i'm gonna be 
blunt and honest, uh, and this is hanging around Kyle Petty uh, as much as I do, which I love to do. And uh, but you but you learn to kind of say what's on your mind. And you know, I think there's a disconnect there between James Small and and the rest of the team, not just their driver, but the rest of the team. Now he's got to get a handle on this, and he better do it much sooner than later. Can you see that externally, DJ? That it's again not to be too blunt, but is it just a leadership thing where the team isn't kind of on the same page for whatever reason? Yeah, it just seems that they're you know their their race cars aren't prepared when the race starts, and uh, you know they're overlooking things. And you know, you go back to Darlington where Truex had gotten into the the, the fence in in their short uh, practice time, and they didn't find the issue there. I mean, you know, when you hit the wall, you've got and, and I realize they're you know they're trying not to start in the rear, but when something like that happens, you know these. The parts and pieces on these cars now are just seem so fragile and and they're obviously so very important, but but they, you know, just the slightest bend uh, in them. And, and we're talking something maybe minute, uh, but it but it is findable. And, um, you know, not to do that. I, I just think that leadership uh, and that starts at the very top with the crew chief. You know, he's got to be in charge of his people. Uh, you know, if it's someone else's fault, then he needs to be on top of them and making sure they're doing their job better. So, you know, I think it starts right there. Uh, you know, I can't can't put the blame uh, on Martin, but, you know, is some of it, uh, is he not connected enough there to, to be telling him exactly, you know, what he's looking for and, and the issues that he's going through. But they, they better figure things out quickly. And, and it's not that I don't think that James Hall, he is – outstanding crew chief and and hey wouldn't want the job but you know you put yourself in you're you're the one that you know when they said who wants to be crew chief he raised his hand you when you're going good and and you're getting a a lot of the credit then when things aren't going good uh you're going to get a lot of the blame at that point in time too so yeah i think it starts right there at the top and i I would hope and think that they're in meetings as, as you and i are talking right now uh discussing how they can be better whenever they get to talladega and the rover the time is growing short for them to, to get things turned around here. But like you said, that's what he signed up for. That's the job. They've got to do it at this point. Just like your job is to give us that candor and insight and the bluntness that we love from you and KP. And so we definitely appreciate all those comments. Let's wrap up going to Talladega. Now you're, you'll be there this weekend, race Sunday on NBC. Any way to predict what's going to happen here? I mean, I was looking back earlier this year and I'd forgotten that Kyle Busch won this race. I think he said that they kind of just backed into it. Just one of those typical Talladega type races where I don't think anybody really dominated. Any thoughts on what we might see Sunday? Yeah, it, it, there, there are just so many drivers that you can look at and, and go down the list and say they, they've got a real chance at, at winning this and moving themselves through. And then, you know, talk about drivers that right now might look like they're in a bad spot. Uh, Blaney being one of those. Uh, he's as good as there is. Uh, on these type tracks with these cars right now. Brad Keselowski uh, for many years was the guy to beat uh, at Talladega. And and I think what we've seen recently at Daytona and Talladega as this team has gotten better that, uh, and certainly with his and Chris Buescher's performance at Daytona uh, just a few short weeks ago, you know, that makes you think that either Brad or, or Buescher could, could get there. So that's three Fords that we know uh, that will be there. You know, Denny Hamlin is is as good at this as, as anyone else does. Does he run the race to try to win? Does he run the race that's going to gather him a lot of stage points to begin with and put himself in a position to where points are going to matter and, and he does maybe have to go after the win or it opens him up to, to go win. So this is, this is a 
great spot for this race. It's so cruel to the drivers <laughs> to put them in this position, but you have to run it somewhere. And um, it, it just makes for, you know, as tense a 500 mile racing as what we see anywhere. And, and we know that, you know, it, it hasn't generally with, with this uh, next gen car been uh, as much three wide racing at Daytona, but we did see more of that just five weeks ago. But now uh, you, we expect that to, to happen at Talladega. And, um, you know, the pushing and shoving ramps up as the race goes on. So I, you know, it's so hard to predict what might happen. We, we know that there's one guy that doesn't care about anything else that other than trying to get another win, that's William Byron as far as the points go. But there's a lot of other people that I look outside the playoffs. And, and just as we saw Chase Briscoe making a huge effort there yesterday and trying to win that race on a late restart, drivers can maybe save their careers. They certainly can save their seasons by going and, and getting a win at Talladega. And that just adds more drama to the to the mix uh, for the, the 12 playoff drivers that are left in there. I'd say Will Canada's 11 because Byron doesn't matter what happens with him. But the other 11, as good as it looks, Denny's in position. He goes and gets in something early there. Then all of a sudden the Roval becomes a, a real pressure-packed situation for, for Denny Hamlin too. So it's just going to be fascinating to watch and, and see – how the different drivers go about collecting stage points and positioning themselves to try to win at the end of this. I, I really can't wait. It, you know, I, I remember the first race that, that I worked after I retired and I went to Talladega and, and of course I was covering it at the time for ESPN and to get in the booth and, and watch that uh, race, it, it was like, Oh my God, these guys are crazy. And I was just <laughs> racing with them a year before. And, uh, yeah just to, to see that and, and it's gotten no less insane uh to this point so should be fun yeah can one of these drivers get it done i i just can't i know we have to wait a whole week and i'm gonna play a few rounds of golf between now and then and try to enjoy that but i really cannot wait to sunday to to see exactly what's going to transpire the stakes certainly have never been higher a lot higher than they were 15 years ago when you called that yes. talladega race for, for espn although they're always high at this place and yeah the inversely proportional theory of what's bad for drivers is good for us as media and as fans watching i hate it for them but it's fun for us to to watch yes. it on the other side so yes it is and it's always fun having you on the nascar nbc podcast dj thanks for uh, giving me so much of your time and insight and uh safe travels enjoy talladega all right thanks nate good talking with you our thanks again to Dale Jarrett for joining us on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thanks to motorsports manager Emily Conboy and senior producer Aaron Feldstein for helping set up and record the episode. You can watch the video version of this episode on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel and also find more NASCAR America Motormouths content and highlights from across the racing spectrum. That's on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. The NASCAR Cup Series will be at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend. You can head to NBCSports.com NASCAR for all the information and schedules on how and when to watch. That's at NBCSports.com NASCAR. If you have any NASCAR and NBC podcast feedback, you can send to me at Nate Ryan. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast.
Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.